Um, so I'm going to take uh, the privilege of introducing our speaker for today, my brother Isaac uh, Peterson. He's going to come and uh, share the message. So if you would, real quick, would you just extend your hand towards Isaac, and let's just pray for him as he brings the word. Father, I thank you for Isaac. I thank you for this entire team and their their sacrifice and their investment to be here, Father. I pray that you would honor them, that you would pour out your love upon them as they have come to serve you, the king, and your kingdom. We ask for your anointing right now, that you would take what Isaac has prepared and that you would just, in the moment, even breathe new life on it. Speak through him. Come, Holy Spirit. We love him. We honor him in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. Um, I'm going to invite my wife up. She's really good at praying, so I'm going to have her do it. <laughs> Give me one more prayer. Um, Jesus, I just thank you for Isaac and the amazing man that you've made him. I just pray that you would use him today, that you would speak through him. We just welcome your Holy Spirit here. Would you open our hearts to what you have to say? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Um, so today we're going to be... The, the sermon topic is titled, it's a bold statement. It's the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, the only way to happiness. You're probably like, oh my gosh, that's a, that is a bold statement. I'm going to say a lot of bold statements today. Um, they are my humble opinion, and I promise I'll back them up, and I won't say that they are facts, but I hope that you can track along with me and follow through. So, If you would, open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. So the Sermon on the Mount, there's a huge lack, by the way, of pages flipping. The good old days. I'm just kidding. I'm not not condemning anybody. I'm only 22 years old, so I have no clue what that means, you know, the good old days. The good old days are right now for me, you know. So we're going to be opening up the word in Matthew 5 through 7, talking about the Sermon on the Mount. I will be jumping around. We won't be going into super deep detail of each topic, but if you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, then you'll know what, I be t- what I'll be talking about. If you're not, I'll give you a little gist of what the Sermon on the Mount is. I believe that the Sermon on the Mount is one of, if not the most important sermons given to us in the Bible. It's given to us by one of the great, greatest ministers if not the greatest minister ever, Jesus, given to us on a mountain. As he, uh, I'll, I'll start in chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying this. This is the Beatitudes. But before we get to the Beatitudes, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the, the general topic of the Sermon on the Mount. The revelation and connection we make to this sermon will actually free us from unfulfillment that we face in our life. And like I said earlier, it's the only way to happiness. Not this specific sermon that I'm preaching, but actually the Sermon on the Mount specifically is the only way to happiness. No amount of purchases we make, no amount of friends we make and great relationships and connections, although those are good, none of those good deeds that we do, although those are important, Those won't actually fulfill our unfulfillment that we face. The unfulfillment that we face in our life will come in the form of doing the Sermon on the Mount. And you might be like, that sounds like a work-based faith. It's not, I promise. The important thing about the Sermon on the Mount is 
the main direction that the Sermon on the Mount is pointing us to is Jesus. It's pointing us to freedom from certain things. It'll give us the seven deadly sins. It'll, it'll talk about other things that we're to do as, as ministers of God. But ultimately, all points to glorifying Jesus, which that is our main calling. I'm going to give you a couple main callings too today. So the reason that this will free us um, from unfulfillment that we face is given to us in Matthew 5:48. So you can turn to there. Matthew 5, verse 48. This is our life calling right here. This is a big life calling. I'm going to read it out. Don't freak out, okay? Everybody stay in your seats. <laughs> you, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Whoa, that's a big calling. I'm out. I can't do that. Sorry. No, that's probably what you're thinking. You're like, oh, my gosh, I have to be perfect? Well, let me break down perfection for you. I think perfect is going to throw us off. Other translations use the word mature or complete. I think these are a little bit more helpful and palatable for the human mind. Um, Perfection, is the first thing that we think of is God. God is perfect. He's a perfect being in all that he does. He's true to his virtues. He's true to who he says he is. But perfection might throw us off because we're going to be constantly thinking and comparing ourselves to God. That's unhelpful. Let's think of it in mature or complete. So let me reread it again. You therefore must be mature as your heavenly father is mature. And perfect is not actually talking about your image. It's not talking about your dance form. It's not talking about how good you are at driving. Okay? It's actually talking about obedience, perfection and obedience. And perfection and obedience, if we change the word a little bit, to, um, to help palate it, mature in obedience, complete in obedience. This is going to help us comprehend what that looks like. So I'm going to break this down a little bit in obedience because the entire Sermon on the Mount is a bunch of stuff given to us to do. It's not just, um, you know, be nice. It gives us the specifics. This is the life direction that we have in order to live lives as Christians and minister to God. So, We want to do it well, we want to do it perfectly, and we want to do it maturely and completely. So let me break down the obedience aspect, how how we can be um, perfect, mature, or complete in obedience. So this is the objective of God. God gave the earth and the church this objective, which is to be mature in obedience. Now, what does being perfect or mature in obedience look like? So being perfect in obedience looks like an unchanging steadfast steadfastness, and continual walk in the light of God and in our spiritual life, no matter our season or circumstance. So no matter what we face, we're able to testify to God, he is faithful and I can do these things because of his good work and because of the Holy Spirit helping me. We have the ability to tap in to the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. The blazing, the blazing fire of a billion suns burning within us, that's what's inside of us. We have the ability to tap in that because of the graciousness of God and do these things, to do the Sermon on the Mount. So let me, let me talk a little bit more about obedience. O- perfection in obedience is not actually talking about really being perfect in obedience because that's a little bit too much for us, right? Just think of the human construct. Think of the human mind. There's so much fog. There's so much barriers for us to cross the the perfect line. God doesn't want us to be perfect. He wants to be perfect in obedience. And and I'll tell you what that means. Being perfect in obedience 
is actually the constant pursuit of obedience. It's actually constantly turning away from sin. It's turning away from failure. And it's actually constantly repositioning ourselves to God, asking for help, asking for grace. Because perfection and obedience, as we've talked about, or as I've talked about, is pretty much unattainable. But there's a perfection in the pursuit of obedience that is attainable. And that's what God is asking of his, of his people. He's asking us to be perfect in our pursuit of obedience. In all things, we must be steadfast in our pursuit of obedience. And you might ask, be asking, what's the obedience? It's right here, the Sermon on the Mount. That's what we are to be obedient to. All the things that Jesus has asked us to do as ministers of God, as the saints. So, let's get back to the Sermon on the Mount for a little bit. Actually, I feel like we should talk about something else for a second. Get ready. No, I'm just kidding. It's not that big. So, um, one of the one of the characters in the Bible, people, he's not just a character, but he's an actual person. One of the people... In the Sermon on the Mount that I deeply respect, that I deeply admire, is Daniel. Daniel is a great example of how we can see this this perfection in uh, the pursuit of obedience. <clears throat> Daniel is very is a very extreme example, but I'll, I'll tell you why. Daniel continued to intercede and lean on God, all while being persecuted by the most wicked of kings. He refused to worship idols. And even chose to fast instead of being defiled by the king's abundance of food and wine, even though it could have led to persecution. This is one of my favorite examples. If you guys want to see somebody who does the Sermon on the Mount well and her, who pursues in the face of wickedness, in the, which is what the world is going to end up in and, and is kind of already in. We're, we're surrounded by wickedness. But Daniel consistently pursues that obedience. So if you guys want a, a good example, read the book of Daniel. You'll also find some deep end times theology in there too. But, but read the book of Daniel and, and find that um, we, can, we can walk and take from his, his example that he's given us. So this also means, uh, the, the obedience aspect also means walking in the light that we have, just as God walks in all the light that he has. So taking from God's character, taking from his virtues, and walking in those. Well, how do you do that? It's right here, Sermon on the Mount. He's given us the instructions for our life. He's given everything that we need right here. One, one thing that I heard a long time ago that, that stuck out to me is somebody was like, oh, I, I, I can't hear from God. I don't know what he's saying. I'm really doubting that he speaks to me. I'm really doubting that he has any direction for my life. Have you read the Bible? It's like all right here. We have to read the Bible. We have to get deep in the word. Find intimacy with Christ. Those things will speak to us louder than any voice. And God will speak to you. And there will be a day where you'll hear clearly from him. But this is what God has told us. He has already spoken and he will continuously speak to us through this. That's called the, the spirit of revelation. So seek the word above all things, and you will find Christ hidden inside of it. And you will ultimately grow in the perfection of pursuit of obedience. 
So, this looks like understanding that God walks in all of his virtues, just as we talked about. Walking in all the light that God has. This will help us do the Sermon on the Mount. So, what is Jesus saying in the Sermon on the Mount is no matter whether you're one-year-old in the faith, no matter you're a baby in the faith, no matter if you're one-year-old, sorry, two years old, or 30 years old, we can all pursue obedience in all the things that the Spirit has made known to you, which is the fruit of the Spirit and the Sermon on the Mount. These two things will help us in our pursuit of obedience. So, at the beginning, I said, this is the only way to happiness. You might still feel a little bit unclear. Let me emphasize a little bit more on why the Sermon on the Mount, why pursuing obedience in God is the only way to happiness. The Beatitudes tells us, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's the first thing that the Beatitudes tells us. Matthew 5, 3. Being poor in spirit is acknowledging the depravity of the human nature, the depravity of happiness, the depravity of joy, the depravity of fulfillment that we have. The only way to actually fulfill those things in our heart is by understanding the depravity and seeking out God to fulfill that depravity. And like I said in the beginning, no amount of purchases, no amount of anything will fulfill that. I'll give you an example of of how this how how we can find happiness. Well, first I'll actually give you some artificial happiness. How about that? So, the fruits of the spirit, right? Love, joy, peace. The first 3 are very evident that the fruits of the spirit are a great meter meter for are we doing what God is asking us to and are we growing in these things? So you can tell somebody, you can, you can tell if somebody is walking in the virtues of God if they are growing in the fruits of the Spirit. That's Matthew 7.15, a tree and its fruit. So if we want to have joy in our lives, we must pursue God in order to receive the benefits of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. First three. So to talk about artificial joy, has anybody gone on a vacation before? I hope so. If you haven't, I'm going to be praying for you. (laughs) Has anybody been sick before? Raise your hand if you've been sick. Okay. Well, we pray healing over the room right now. Has anybody just been lazy enough to not want to get out of bed and probably call off work before? It's happened to me. It's happened to me. So when you get off of these breaks from life, have you ever felt rested? Have you ever truly felt like you were more awake than when you took the break? I'll tell you right now, when I get back from the Bahamas, I've never been, but I'm just going to give you an example. When I get back from the Bahamas, I feel horrible. I feel way more tired than when I, got, than when I left. Why is that? When I went on spring break this last week, I probably got an unhealthy amount of sleep every day. I played a little bit of Xbox. Who's my, anybody play Xbox in here? Amen. We need a little bit of Xbox people in here. 
I had some fun with my friends. But after the spring break, I got back to school and I was completely questioning what does rest mean? Because spring break is actually not making me restful. I'm finding myself more weak. My capacity is lowered for people. My capacity for compassion for people is lowered. Has anybody experienced that? The reason for this is rest is only truly found in God. The Sermon on the Mount. You will find rest in pursuing God and pursuing his virtues. Has anybody woken up in the morning and read the Bible? feels a lot different than if you didn't, right? That's called rest. And the reason for that is joy, happiness. The joy of the Lord is a complete different kind of rest than what the human mind can comprehend. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about artificial joy now. So when we face artificial joy... We're faced with Netflix. We're faced with video games. I'm not condemning anybody for that. Sometimes we need Netflix. Right, honey? Yeah. She loves Grey's Anatomy. Sometimes we need, sometimes we need those breaks. So it's okay. There's grace. I understand. The Lord understands completely. But these are actually artificial forms of joy. Think of your vacations. Think of your Amazon purchases, which give you a boost of serotonin. Think of the vitamin C that you're taking. Think of the sun, the sun that comes out and makes you feel happier. While these do make you feel better, these are actually artificial forms of joy. Artificial joy is joy that does not come from the fruit of the Spirit. So I'm going to tell you a verse that actually correlates directly to how we can test if something is the fruit of joy or not. Psalm 16 says, You may know, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So you're like, how does that, how do we tell if, if that's joy or not? Well, joy is eternal. Psalms Psalm 16 says that joy is eternal and pleasures are at your right hand forevermore. If joy is eternal and we're only getting partial satisfaction and partial fulfillment from certain things, then it's actually an artificial form of joy. Now, again, remember, I'm not condemning anybody for seeking out, you know, temporary pleasures. It's okay. I do it on a daily basis. There's grace. But... Are we prioritizing finding eternal joy in God over our current state of mind? Are we wanting, are we actually wanting joy from God or are we actually only wanting partial fulfillment of joy in the moment? So many times when I was a teenager, I had lots of anxiety, quite a bit of depression. And the only thing that would really get me out of the rut was at least what I thought was the only thing that would get me out of the rut, was the immediate pleasures, immediate distractions. And I'm telling you right now, it caught up very quickly my senior year with me. I lost quite a bit of friends. I got into a car accident, and I faced 
the deepest amount of depression and anxiety I've ever felt. I skipped my high school prom. I lost my friends. It was just going downhill for me. And I actually didn't find the solution until a year later when I, when I began the International House of Prayer University. Guys, I'm telling you right now, do not skip out on your opportunity to seek joy now, to seek eternal joy now. It will catch up with you. My life is a testimony of that. The Lord sovereignly took me out of my circumstance, though, and actually gave me the grace to seek out joy and find those eternal pleasures. And I'm telling you right now that it will catch up with you if you don't start now. Don't wait to find joy in God eternally. These things are so important for us because if we don't, then our relationship ultimately with God falls apart. Has anybody had a relationship that they really don't enjoy the person? (laughs) I worked at Taco Bell. Like, it was my first job when I was 17. I worked at Taco Bell. And, man, there were some people that were very unenjoyable to work with. And I would definitely not take them to my house to, you know, meet my family. I would not take them out to coffee because there was no joy in the relationship. And, of course, you can find joy in relationships even with people that you don't necessarily enjoy. You can still find things about them. You can still shine, be the light of Christ and still love them. But ultimately, are we willing to hang out with somebody that we're not finding joy in? Are we willing to actually partake and build relationship with somebody we're not finding joy in? This is why this is so important. We need to have joy in our relationship with God or else ultimately we're not motivated to build it. Right? Does anybody actually want to build their relationship with God if they don't think he's enjoyable? That's why I think Mayo Health Clinic did a, did a study in, um, from 20, 2019 to 2022 about um, testing if college students had depression and anxiety and if, um, how many students were, were keeping their faith when they, would, when they would graduate high school and go to college. 70% of college students who begin college in their, in their first to fourth year fall away from the faith. 70%. That means that this room, this portion of the room is safe. You guys are goners. Sorry. 50% of college students showed symptoms of anxiety or depression. This is pretty bad, right? This is a testament of lack of joy. Depression and anxiety is a testament of lack of eternal joy, of lack of perspective in eternal joy. That's what I was facing. I didn't have any compass for what eternal joy looked like. And if only I would have known, I would have been saved by the grace of God from my depression, from my anxiety, from all the problems. There's so much time that I've wasted in my life on temporary joy, on temporary pleasures, If only I would have had the compass of what eternal pleasure and eternal joy looks like, I would have been saved from all those things. I would have been saved from the time that I wasted. And I'm still on that journey. I'm not preaching at you guys from a place of high authority and I'm like, oh, I figured it out. No, I'm I'm figuring it out still. And I'm sure I'm sure that people in their, you know, thirties, forties, fifties, people who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, I'm sure you guys can 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 testify to that too. You're still figuring out how to find eternal joy in God. It's a life journey. But I guess, I'm guessing that you can also testify, those who have had a, a long walk with the Lord, I'm guessing that you can also testify that it's worth it. 
that the eternal joy you find in God is much more satisfying than the partial fulfillment that we find in false joy, in things that we seek in the moment. So now to get back to the Sermon on the Mount. This is a sermon given to us by Jesus so that we may find joy in him. Finding joy in the aspect of obedience towards him. You may have been thinking, okay, you've been talking a lot about joy, finding joy in God, what is and what isn't joy the whole time. So let me tell you how to find this joy in God. Matthew 5-7 through gives us the Beatitudes. And within this section of the chapters, we are given 19 ways to either find joy in God or keep our hearts free from the turmoil of extremely dangerous sin. Now, we all, we all agree sin is weighted equal. There's no partiality in sin, but there are greater effects on certain sins. Amen? So, these deadly sins, these are the seven deadly sins. Ooh. No, these are deadly so the first one, lust, the desire to take yourself, to take for yourself what others have can, and can give you. And then Matthew also tells us that we must pluck our eye out if it's causing you to sin. Does anybody actually want to pluck their eye out? No, but this is actually a, a very practical commandment given to us. Take away the things that are causing you to lust. Take away the things that are causing your heart to be crumbling in the turmoil of sin. Anything that is producing bad fruit in our life, pluck it out. Get rid of it. Because the replacement, the alternative for this is joy. Right? The second one, gluttony. The third, greed. Selfish, selfishness that is tied with pride. Laziness. Just as we talked about, those long gaps of breaks where we're thinking that we are getting the, the rest, but we're actually not. It's actually a false sense of rest. Wrath. Self-motivated justice outside of God. Envy. The selfish desire for things which others have. Pride. The Bible actually talks about this, which is very important. He actually, Jesus addresses this many times to the Pharisees about how they were prideful and arrogant in their acts of goodness. Guys, we must do what the Sermon on the Mount tells us. It tells us to, to not let the right hand know what the left hand is doing, and vice versa. To not let your brothers and sisters know what you're doing, but do it in secret, so that I may reward you in secret. These are super important because with these things, if we have these remaining in our lives, if we're not pursuing perfection and obedience regarding these things here, they will rob us of joy. So I'm going to talk a little bit of being robbed from joy. We cannot not let joy be stolen from us through these sins. Let me say it again. Our joy will be robbed if we are not free from the following. Lust, gluttony, greed, laziness, wrath, envy, pride. These things are captors of the joy that we find in God. That's why Jesus is telling us, don't do these things. Do the opposite. Fill yourself with the fruits of the Spirit and find joy in me. Find joy in God. We cannot let joy be stolen from us through these sins. So the prodigal son story 
tells us a little bit about a, a, a real scenario where someone is faced with the unfulfillment of their life, the unfulfillment of these seven deadly sins, and having to ultimately find themselves eating where the pigs are eating. And instead of turning to the Father, he, he just eats from where the pigs are at, rather than actually going to the Father and asking for forgiveness. Now, eventually his heart turns and he goes to the Father, and the Father embraces him with open arms. But we don't want to get to that point. We don't want to get to the point where we're stuck in the mud, finding ourselves full of unfulfillment, full of lust, gluttony, greed, laziness, squandering the Father's inheritance in which he's given us just to fulfill our lusts and desires. We don't want to be faced with that, church. We do not want to be faced with that. That is the prime reason for our joy being robbed. The grace of God will get us to the point where joy it will no longer be taken from us. And the open arms of God's mercy will get us to the point where we can ask him freely. Ask him for joy. Ask him for grace to do the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> so do we know the work of Jesus? We are now able to boldly approach the throne of God and ask him for forgiveness and grace of these sins of the seven deadly sins. We can ask for grace to walk in the light of the word. We can ask for grace to be obedient. We can ask for grace and strength to obey the Sermon on the Mount and to be transformed by it so that we may find joy in God because we are without joy. If we are without joy, <clears throat> then we're without strength because joy is a fruit of the Spirit. If we don't have the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit dwelling with a, within us, we are ultimately powerless. Just as the, the Bible tells us, you can test a prophet by his fruits. If he doesn't have joy, if he doesn't have peace, if he doesn't have righteousness, he's probably not walking in the spirit, right? He's probably getting angry at his wife, punching his kids, not playfully, seriously. If he's not bringing peace into the workplace, if the spirit of peace does not rest on him, <coughs> excuse me. If he doesn't have love, these are the the tests. These are the meters for which we can test if somebody is walking in the spirit. So, who wants to be strengthened in in order to be obedient? Does anybody want to be strengthened in order to be obedient? Because I do. I need it. Sheesh Louise. <laughs> Who actually wants to find joy in their pursuit of obedience towards God? I can find many times in my life where I've not found it enjoyable to obey God. <clears throat> Excuse me. Has anybody faced that before? Has anybody in their pursuit of obedience been commanded by God, been given direction for their life, and feel the resistance of the human heart. I'm right there with you guys. The way to get out of this is by doing these things and practicing. Practicing the Sermon on the Mount. Practicing the direction for our lives. <clears throat> God will ultimately free us from our unfulfillment. Our unfulfillment is only going to deepen our 
our resistance to God and our resistance to obedience in God. And so will the the seven deadly sins. We must do what the Sermon on the Mount is asking of us. And I know you're probably like, oh, you're leaving us hanging without the sermon, without actually going into depth on the Sermon on the Mount. No, you guys need to read it yourselves. Find God in there. I guarantee you, God wants to reveal that to you way more than I do. God, God's desire is to reveal himself to you in those moments of you searching him out in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Word ultimately, but specifically in the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> so I'm right here with you. Don't feel like I'm, I'm standing in a place of, of highness or anything like that. We must find joy in God or else we will be or else we won't be truly satisfied with God. If we're not satisfied with God and don't actually find joy in God, then what's the point? Where's our relationship with him going? I feel so stuck sometimes in my relationship with with God, and if only I truly found joy in God, then I would actually be freed from my complacency. We need to be freed from complacency. Hear these words, church. We will never be satisfied with where our lives are at. uh, Worship team, if you want to come up. We will never be satisfied with where our lives are at. We will never be satisfied with the hunger that we have in our hearts for more. We will always feel lack in our relationship with God until we find joy in him. Because our relationship with God will be marked with a banner of eternity since we know joy is eternal. We need eternity marked on our hearts, right? Eternity casts vision for where we're going with God. Read the book of Revelation. Get, a, get into a little bit of end times, a little bit of kingdom theology. You will understand that Jesus is returning. Jesus is coming back for us, for Israel. Jesus is coming, is returning to the world and he's, going to, and he's going to have a very important conversation. In fact, the most important conversation we're going to have with him is at the end of the age. Standing in front of Jesus. Standing in front of God. The most important conversation you will ever have in your life. Not with your boss, not with your parents when you're trying to figure out if you're going to go to college or not. Not with your professor who's going to fail or pass you. Not with your boss who's trying to give you a promotion. That's not an important conversation. That's not anything close to as important as a conversation you will have with God at the end of the age before you go into, go into eternity. I want to stand before God and say, yes, I found joy in you. I found joy in you my days on the earth. I found joy in you. I wasn't satisfied with the other things. <clears throat> And so I turned away from those things with your help, and I chose to find joy in you above all others. That's the conversation I want to have with God. I don't want to have the conversation, I'm so sorry. I didn't choose you above all other things. I chose my selfish desires. I chose my lust, my gluttony, my laziness. Guys, I hope that is your same desire, that you want to have a the conversation, the most important conversation of your life pointed in the direction of, I found joy in you, God. I loved you with all my heart. And I 
achieved perfection in the pursuit of obedience with your help. I hope that you guys want that because that's pretty important. Clearly, it's on God's heart.